All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of Hey Jen. It's Jenna here, your host. And if you remember this one episode that I did on love and dating a while ago, then be sure to turn your volume up and definitely listen up because we are back again with another episode on love and dating. But this time it's about dating in Vancouver versus Paris. It's going to be a bit more interesting. Actually, no, it will be very interesting. But then, no, don't worry, I won't be doing all the talking myself because I have my really good friend here and my fellow dog owner, Chantel. So welcome, Chantel. So nice to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Well, hi, Jenna. I'm Chantel. So Jenna and I studied together at UBC. That's how we first met. Um, And then Mm -hmm. recently I was down in Vancouver visiting and she was like, do you want to come on a podcast with me? So this is actually my first (laughs) podcast uh, speaking opportunity that I've ever accepted. Super exciting. And honestly, thank you so much for being willing to come on here. Of course, of course. I remember we were chatting, I think a few days ago, or maybe a few weeks ago, just about life in general, where we were. And then, like, I think you just called me on a whim after I messaged you. (laughs) And then we started talking. And then somehow we started talking about dating men. And we were like, we should do this. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was in like a Starbucks just waiting because, you know, my mom works there, uh, which is (laughs) awesome. And I was like there spending the day with her, you know, some lovely Mm -hmm. like mom and daughter time. And yeah, I was like, you messaged me. And I was like, oh, I really don't feel like writing the paper that I'm supposed to be writing. I'll just talk to Jenna instead. (laughs) Glad to have been your procrastination fuel. (laughs) Absolutely. No, absolutely worth it. Absolutely worth it. It's always good to catch up. Like there's always lots to talk about. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Yeah, so then just to give our listeners a little bit more information as to how we met, like we met Mm -hmm. in school at UBC, but then we got closer by doing an undergraduate society position together. So through extracurriculars, from talking and getting to know each other better, I learned that you went to school in Paris or in France for some Mm -hmm. time. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. what motivated you to choose studying in France and doing Sciences Po, which is a UBC program? Yeah. So great question. I, when I was applying for universities, um, pretty like early on in my high school journey, I was already thinking about applying abroad, like uh, like outside of Canada. Mm -hmm. So I considered going to school down in the US, but I was really overwhelmed during my last year of high school because I was working full time and I was dancing full time and I Mm -hmm. homeschooled to accommodate all of that. It was just a lot. And so I did not want to write the SATs, uh, which Mm -hmm. is a standardized test that you need to apply to, I think, almost all like universities uh, in the U.S. for undergrad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I because I didn't write that, I kind of like struck the the U.S. out as an option. Uh, And I was kind of, you know, I I was like, you know what, maybe I'll just go to school in Canada. It's cheaper. I'm from here. I can get funding to do it. Uh, I'll I'll just throw my hat in. So I applied across Canada, uh, like U of T, McGill, uh, University of Ontario, UBC. I think it did not apply in Alberta. Um, I did Mm -hmm. not want to face the cold or snow. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We are not good at dealing with the cold. (laughs) No, for sure not. For sure not. Like I do not own waterproof shoes. 
um, or clothing. But anyways, uh, that is another story. <laughs> so um, I got into like all the universities down in the Fraser Valley, uh, including UBC. But the first time I applied to UBC, they accepted me into the arts program, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And I declined the offer. And in between the, like that year where I declined my offer, I, um, I took more high school courses basically to Mm -hmm. make it look like on my transcript that I graduated, um, like immediately before going to university, if that makes sense, just Mm -hmm. to avoid any confusion or anything. So I took a couple extra high school courses and continued dancing full time. Um, and then when I applied to UBC the following cycle, I got into the business program and it was UBC. When I got into UBC, they sent me an email and they were like, we actually have this program that we think you might be interested. Um, it's a super small cohort, but basically you can do two undergraduate degrees in four years instead of one. And that Mm -hmm. was the, the hook for me it didn't really matter where it was. It was just the fact that in four years, I was going to graduate with two diplomas instead of one. Mm -hmm. So that's how I found out about Sciences Po, which is the the university I went to in France. Uh, I went to their like countryside campus. It's called Mm -hmm. the Campus de Reims, Mm -hmm. uh, which is great. It's a little bit, it's like a 45 minute train ride outside of Paris. Super, super beautiful. It's in the Champagne region. And there I met a ton of people and I'm still in touch with a lot of those people today just because the cohort was so small. Um, I don't remember how many people in the school, but I want to say our cohort was like 200 people, something like that compared to UBC where I think we're, I think in my year there were like 800 of us. Yeah. A lot of people. Definitely different sizes. Yeah. So that's how I ended up over there. Wow. Super cool. Love how you walked me through your decision and then how you went to France and decided to study there. Yeah. Like, I definitely did hear about the Sciences Po name as well, but then I was like, hmm, I don't think I can rely on my high school French proficiency to go and study there. But then regarding that and regarding having to speak French, how did you actually learn French? Did you learn it through a class Mm -hmm. or did you speak it bilingually? Yeah, so when I was born, um, so I'm from White Rock, actually. Fun, mm. fun fact. Um, so my dad was doing his PhD at UBC at the time uh, when I was born. So he was home most of the time because he was writing his dissertation. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad is from the like far, far east coast of Canada. Um, he's Acadian. So he's from Nova Scotia. He grew up speaking French. Uh, I think he went to a bilingual school. Uh, his father, my grandfather, eventually moved to Quebec, continued speaking French, worked in the Navy, um spoke French there like was stationed over in France for a time so French has definitely been in my family for for forever on Mm -hmm. my dad's side we're like descendants from the the west coast of France actually Mm -hmm. um so the thing is is I grew up hearing him speak French and that's Mm -hmm. a, a critical distinction that I that I draw out because I think that he always spoke to me in French. So I understand French, I would say like 99% of the time, whatever people are saying, no matter the pace, like I'm usually pretty good. Then I, of course, being a a lazy small child, always responded in English. (laughs) So um, when I moved to France, like I had zero issue understanding instructions or like directions or lectures. Mm -hmm. Um, When it came to speaking, I was super, super nervous. 
Um, I actually, like, I remember a time where I was trying to negotiate early, 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 early when I moved there, mm-hmm. trying to negotiate with a like electricity bill company. Wow. And I was so nervous to answer the phone that at one point um, they called and my really good friend was sitting across the table from me and I handed her the phone like out of pure panic. I was just like, bonjour. And then they started speaking. And I was like, one minute, please. One minute, please. And, like, <laughs> so didn't sign up for this. <laughs> and just like she took care of it. And that was great. But um, yeah. gradually what like really forced me to to learn French and become proficient. And now I'm, I'm bilingual, uh, like fully bilingual is mm-hmm. um, I took jobs in French companies in between my summers. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was crazy because of my, I probably went in, are, are you familiar with like the, the proficiency scale of foreign languages, like A, B, C? Mm, I haven't heard of A, B, C, but I know the LinkedIn skill, which is elementary proficiency, <laughs> limited working, okay. professional, and then native bilingual. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's great. So in, in France, they measure like French as A1, A2, B1, B2, C1, mm-hmm. C2. So if you're C2, you are fluent. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're like C1, you're basically fluent. B2 is like working proficiency. Oh. Um, so when I, when I moved to France, I started in A2. So like one step up from knowing nothing. Oh. Um, and then took French in, in, or like took positions in French companies where like the working language every day was French. And that made me challenge myself to speak French pretty quickly, like pretty fast. Mm. So, yeah. Wow, definitely a very long journey that you went down in mastering <laughs> French and being able to go from being able to really listen and understand to really pushing yourself and speaking. I feel like speaking is often the hard part just because yeah. that's the case with me with Mandarin, um, still learning, forcing myself to absorb my old Chinese textbooks from Chinese school back then because I was like well that's your punishment mm-hmm. now you didn't learn Chinese and then I'm like oh no I have to speak it what do you mean <laughs> oh my gosh yeah so yeah I can totally understand but then kind of in the process of learning French did you feel like they put a lot of effort into correcting any like Quebec accents or any different no. French dialects no not at all no, no, no. So, so that's the best part about like when I speak French, people are super confused. Um, and they usually like patronizingly tell me like, oh, you have such a beautiful accent in like a very patronizing way, though, like in a way that if you said that to somebody in Canada in English, it would basically mean like, you sound like a child it is is what they're saying. They're just saying oh it in a, in a kind of roundabout way. I've been told that by employers. I've been told that by taxi drivers. I've been told that by like <laughs> past romantic partners. Like wow. oh goodness, everybody has told me this. Um, but my like just going back to my dad's French. Um, so he studied over in Switzerland for mm-hmm. like a semester abroad in his like early, early, early days in the French part of Switzerland. Um, mm-hmm. Now, in the French part of Switzerland, compared to like Parisian French, they speak slowly, they over enunciate, it's very mm-hmm. easy to follow along. I can tell. Uh, when you go to Paris, it's like you put everything on double speed, you know, so <laughs> yep. I speak slowly, um, hence why I get told often that I sound like a child, but it's fine. <laughs> At least people understand me, you know. Yep, that definitely makes sense. <laughs> that is such an interesting way of putting it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's super French French to like insult somebody that way 
I mean, should I be glad that I have not experienced that? I've only been to Paris during a family trip on tour. So oh, glad nobody has I mean, told me you speak very interestingly. <laughs> you should come visit me and then you'll see. You'll see what it's really like. Oh, I'm definitely going to be in for an adventure and I would love to do that. <laughs> to be told I awesome. speak very interesting French. <laughs> i'm sure it'll be fine like they have mcdonald's in in paris don't worry all right problem solved we're good we're good yes yes right so then near the beginning i talked a bit about how i basically roped you in to talk about dating love relationship Mm -hmm. and your experience with that in paris so then regarding dating we definitely at some point and during our either drives or conversations here and there, we've talked about dating, dating experiences, the apps, people, pretty much anything. So then Mm -hmm. at one point, I considered naming this episode European Men, but you know, I really held back (laughs) trying not to do that. (laughs) But then for our listeners out there and to give them a little bit more context, do you mind telling us a bit more about your experience with dating and Sure. overall what that was like for you interesting big topic I like it uh, I'll I'll dive right in so I I've only dated like officially officially dated two guys actually um mm-hmm. and they were both long distance relationships which is I think probably not normal but it's <laughs> fine I lived a busy life like I wasn't really able to stick around in the same place I realized I've moved like almost 10 times in the last six years Like moved houses completely, moved cities, moved countries like six times. So (laughs) I don't know if it's impressive or problematic, but it definitely did not (laughs) lay a good foundation to have like a normal relationship where you like start dating and gradually work up to seeing each other often, if that makes sense. So I just want to like um, preempt all of this with like that little caveat. Um, yeah, so first boyfriend I ever had, what we met the summer before I moved to France, and we actually agreed to start dating while I was over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was from Canada. So that was interesting, like being over there. There were a lot of like difficulties in that relationship stemming from like different alignments, I'd say in career goals or in like life expectations. So my my perspective was very much like, okay, if I'm dating someone, keep in mind, I was like, I was young. Um, But my expectation going in was still like, if I'm spending my time like dating somebody, I want to build towards something. I don't want to just like date aimlessly. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I moved over to Europe, which like we knew when we started like flirting with each other, when I moved Mm -hmm. over to Europe, and that's when we decided to like start dating, Um, that was not a good idea in hindsight, because I knew that I was going to be in Europe for two years, only coming back in the summers, if that. Um, And I knew that I potentially wanted to end up in Europe in the in the long term. Mm -hmm. So that complicated things because he was in the Fraser Valley, he was going to school there, he had just started a four year program. So he was going to be in the same place for four years versus I was going to move back and forth between countries for four years. Mm -hmm. And I was having all of these incredible, incredible, incredible life experiences over in Europe um, that he just couldn't relate to. So even when he came to visit, he came to visit once. 
And it, it was awful because I had all my friends there. I had a network of, of people there and mm -hmm. he had zero connections. And so it was very much like getting plopped into somebody else's life mm -hmm. and kind of being expected to act as if you had been there the whole time. Yeah, totally. So that, that was my, my first relationship with a, with a Canadian guy, with a Fraser Valley guy. Um, mm. For those who don't know, Fraser Valley is like the the area, the geographic area that Vancouver sits in, uh, which is the where the university is that Jenna and I went to. Mm -hmm. In France then, so we, he and I dated for like a year and a half. And then I took like six months between when he and I broke up, I ended things. Uh, I took six months between when he and I broke up in January and when I downloaded dating apps because mm. um, I had moved to Paris where there are like two million people in the city center of Paris and I it was the first time I'd ever like used or contemplated dating apps so I was like oh I'll, I'll give this a try you know see see what this is like um, see what's out there and in mm -hmm. the first like 24 hours oh my goodness I instantly so I downloaded Bumble and I think I downloaded OkCupid, even though I hear that's what like <laughs> I've only heard ads for that older people. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's from like Match.com, which is like the the one of the biggest like players in the dating app market. So I I, I, I don't know. It came up when I searched dating apps, and I was like, sure, fine, whatever. So <laughs> I downloaded that and Bumble, um, and I met the the last guy that I dated um, within like twenty four hours. So we can get like all into my theory on dating app algorithms. Um, but that was really interesting because within those 24 hours across both apps, I had over, it just like tells you after a while, it's like 1000 plus matches waiting. And I was like, or, or people who, who swiped on you. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I cannot imagine how much time it would take to go through <laughs> all of those like waiting potentials. Um, but I did not want to get like premature arthritis in my fingers. So <laughs> I just basically like met my met one guy and then met the 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 I guess my last ex um and then deleted the apps like went on dates with both of them um but I like had deleted the apps already by the time that I met them like three days later which is pretty funny <laughs> in and out right there yeah no, no no exactly like um it's just it's a lot I mean when you have two million people even if we assume that like 50% of those are men <laughs> okay one million people if we assume that like okay I don't know 75% of those are straight, 750,000 men. Like, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a yeah, lot of people. It definitely is a lot of people that you're sifting through. And then mm -hmm. I think partially it might be because people are bored, would you say? Or are dating apps pretty big there as well? I think they're pretty big. Like, um, now that that gets into like a whole topic that I could talk about probably for this whole episode. Um, in Europe, like, it's really common to use dating apps, mm. but it's still possible that you meet people in person. And I think that that's probably like the number one difference I see between um, Vancouver for sure. And mm. like dating in Paris is just this, this ability to still meet people by like bumping into them at a bar or at a club mm. or like during yoga. During yoga. 
I'm just imagining. He's just like looking over. Hey, are you? Is that you? Namaste. (laughs) Namaste disrupted my peace. Oh, God. What do I do now? (laughs) Yeah, but um, definitely it's super common to use dating apps. Almost everybody that I know who's in a relationship or who has dated uh, in Paris has met their significant other through dating apps or by being roommates with them. Wow. That is super interesting. Yeah, definitely roommates. <laughs> Convenient. But then, also, that is super interesting because I actually expected meeting people to be a lot more organic, or at least I thought they would emphasize meeting people naturally, going out to like bars, to restaurants, talking to people. But wow, I think even more prevalent there with the whole dating app stuff. I think that like the Me Too movement like changed the scene of dating um forever like uh, certainly for our generation and i mean i'm super super happy that these these awful revelations came to light and that now we are more sensitive about especially in the workplace like the way that we treat different genders Mm -hmm. um the the only thing is that i think it made things really complicated when it comes to meeting people and becoming romantically involved at work. I mean, unless you want to involve HR and Mm. go through that process and make sure that it's like crystal clear what the boundaries are. Um, I think people are hesitant to use work now as like a place um, to meet potential partners Mm -hmm. versus like my parents, for example, they were both teachers at the same school and they met and started dating like in the same school year and that was fine like there were no issues with that mm-hmm. that totally makes sense times have changed and then I think it's a lot better that workplaces aren't a common meeting ground now or a meeting location mm-hmm. there could be advantages to being able to like date people from the workplace you're arguably you see like a really good side of them you see them in leadership potential roles you mm-hmm. you get a really like global understanding of what they're like among other people uh, which I think is the best determinist determination, sorry, of mm-hmm. character. But yeah, like there's definitely pros to not having that um, rather ominous potential over mm-hmm. top of you, I would say. <laughs> For sure. Kind of regarding dating profiles that you came across mm. when you were on the apps, was there anything that really set the people in Paris apart from the people that you see on the apps in Vancouver in terms of how much care, let's say, they put into their profile or whether it seems more casual, more formal in a sense? I think they're probably comparable. I mean, Vancouver, okay, the one like stereotype I would call out is that Mm -hmm. in the Fraser Valley in particular, there seems to be, and I can only talk, um, I can only talk about like men on on the Mm -hmm. apps. Um, That's my experience. But it seems in the Fraser Valley, there's like one stereotype, which is like, if a guy really likes his truck, (laughs) if that truck (laughs) is a Dodge Ram, um, he's probably going to have a really specific profile type. Like that has been my experience of using dating apps uh, in Vancouver. In France, nobody has a car, so you don't have that like vibe that comes through as forcefully as it can um, in Vancouver, which is preferable on my end. I mean, mm-hmm. like I'm sure other people are looking for that. I don't know for help with their farm chores or whatever they're doing with a <laughs> giant truck. 
Um, but yeah, like in Paris, I think that you have a lot more diversity uh, of types, like absolutely anything that you could possibly be attracted to or into or curious about, you mm -hmm. will find it. And in Vancouver, like I, I use dating apps briefly in Vancouver. Um, I found that you had a lot of similar types of people where it was like, Kate, this is where I studied. This is where I work. This is what I want to be. These are my hobbies. And one of my hobbies is probably hiking. Um, in, in Paris, like you just have absolutely everything. And I think that again, comes from the sheer number of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That definitely does make sense. And then regarding the part about the trucks, I know I definitely know what you're talking about. <laughs> if it's not a truck, it's a fish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, men I holding a huge jokes. fish, like half the size of them. Or like not even that big, but like they're still proud. Like yep. maybe that's fine. I mean, fishing's cool. I actually like fishing more than I like trucks. So <laughs> I, I would prefer that. But like I don't know. Trucks remind me of my brother because he is one of those people. So um, <laughs> that's an automatic no for me. <laughs> that's an interesting segue. Uh, all right. I can probably anticipate your next question. Then, <laughs> if that's the segue. <laughs> what do you think is my next question? <laughs> Are you going to ask me why I dated a guy with the same name as my brother? <laughs> what? No. <laughs> what? I didn't even know that. <laughs> Yeah, my last ex had the same name as my brother, but like the French version. Oh, <laughs> that was that was know. literally my, that was my opening message to him is I was like, usually I would have like swiped left on you because you have the same name as my brother. But <laughs> and here's here's the best part of like my opening line. I was like, but I'm really curious about how you have two master's degrees and you're only like X age. And he thought I was trying to network with him. <laughs> Dude, that like guy's just on autopilot. <laughs> like, for anybody who knows me, that's a super realistic expectation. Like, is she flirting or is she networking? Like, fine line, fine line. Uh, you, you can take on more than one job. <laughs> <laughs> Labor of love. <laughs> But yes, I don't know why I might have used the wrong word there. No, that was not my intended segue, but very nice. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. I let that slip my mind. I was like, what? Oh, it's, okay. it's better right. to forget. It's better to forget. Yeah, I have done don't a recommend. lot of, <laughs> I've done a lot of sifting through my mind. That might have been one of the things that have been sifted out. But wow, that's right. another thing for me to sit with and just think about. <laughs> Would I do the same meditating? It's like, hmm, what an interesting decision. <laughs> I pray that you never have to make that choice. I really hope so as well. But then kind of, <laughs> kind of on that line, then when you're talking to these people on the dating apps and when you're getting to know them, is there a distinct flirting style or a distinct way that they tend to speak to you, especially guys in Paris? Um, it depends if they're French or not, I would say. Oh. <laughs> um, and it depends if English is their first language. So like mm -hmm. for most people where English, like most Europeans are proficient in English, like the vast, ah. vast majority, especially people our age, they all take English in school, like, mm. and they're probably fluent in like three languages, honestly. Wow. Would you say um, that English yeah. for them is like French for us in school? Or is it kind of like more no. of a mandatory course? 
no no it's usually mandatory like it's uh, they're they're fluent like by the time that they finish school like they're fluent in english ah uh, wow so it's kind of like a bilingual yeah. system almost yeah and then like on to trilingual like once you become um fluent like once you reach that c1 c2 level then mm-hmm. you need to take a, a third language that is very yeah. helpful actually especially for work yeah no absolutely absolutely um so as far as like speaking style like messaging style on the apps if english like isn't their native language even if they're like pretty proficient in it some trends that i found and these are like not statistical trends by any means mm-hmm. i did not get a sample them. size of a thousand like <laughs> i could have but i did not want to to uh to go through that so sorry to our ubc stats professor for that unfortunately <laughs> um no data science yes no data science no stats here so like ignoring the p value of <laughs> see i remember things um ignoring the like non-existent p value of this sample size um my experience is just that if english is not their first language their flirting style is going to be a little bit more forward because they don't mm-hmm. like they don't have the nuances of the language like if i tried to flirt in french even though like i'm proficient now um it would be awful it would be a train wreck because i have like academic and business level french like you don't <laughs> you do not learn the like cute flirty things to say uh with academic and business french how exact like if you google translated something that you thought would be sexy to say and just sent it <laughs> like didn't read it just were like yep that's probably it <laughs> oh my gosh um, yeah, they're laughing and crying. Yeah, exactly. I've never received nude photos from, um, from like French men, but like the I'm best glad. comment I've ever received on my profile was like, they swipe right and they send a message. So like, mm. I I don't know what that's a sign of, but like it's one step more than just swiping right. So they swipe right, they send a message. First message, I open it up. And like my profile photo is me in a gala dress. It's like a short dress. I'm wearing like high heels. Mm-hmm. I had been working out a lot. I have like very toned legs in this photo. Mm-hmm. And the guy's opening message is, I would really like to lick your legs. <laughs> what? <laughs> like that's his intro. Like um, that's his, so you <laughs> you see that like I mean even in French that would not be a great like come on but like definitely when you put that into english it does not have a good like feeling at all yeah mm. so i, I, I don't that know out. which is worse <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know which is worse like comments like that or like nude photos i don't know like it needs at least the nude photos are blurred like that i cannot get those words out of my mind yep Ugh. <laughs> Super cool. You've been talking a lot about like dating apps, your experience with messages, um, speaking to different people there, meeting people, using apps. But then now I'm really curious about first dates and what that experience is like. So typically, what does the first date look like in Paris when you're dating? Like, is there a very big difference or not much of a difference mm-hmm. when it comes to Paris versus Vancouver, people's attitudes towards it, things like that? Well, maybe, maybe we can swap stories here, like based on your first date experiences and mine. So I'll tell you my first date experiences in, in Paris, because I have a, a few there. Um, so in Paris, my experience has been that men 
will and again not a statistically like valid sample size you just want to <laughs> preface this um my experience has been that like men are very um it's not it's like more than hesitant they just basically outright refuse to spend money on a first date if they can help it ah interesting so it is like it's super common to invite somebody out for like drinks or coffee but if you show up and you are the woman i would say like brace yourself you're probably gonna pay for your own drink and he's gonna pay for his Mm. which if if you don't have an issue with that like if you have that expectation that's fine but if you're like going in thinking oh yeah like we're gonna go to a five-star um sit down dinner on the first date that's probably not going to happen or at least in my experience that has never happened like the first date Mm -hmm. is always super super casual it's not something that we like well I don't know growing up I always heard the the fairy tales of like the guy like pulling out all the stops you know like showing up with flowers in a suit Mm -hmm. like coming to the door to get you blah 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 and I had dates like that in Canada but like in Mm -hmm. France it's like oh okay I'm free at 3 p.m. on a Friday. Would you like to grab a bubble tea? We'll meet there. You, know? uh, you and your bubble tea? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What What would you say it's like first dates? Like, that's just one anecdote. I can share more. Mm-hmm. But like, what would you say a first date is like in Vancouver? Yeah, like for me personally, I've actually never really been on too many dates. Like, <laughs> I actually mm-hmm. once downloaded Hinge and deleted it 15 minutes later. <laughs> that was the only dating awesome. app I had. And then the reason mm-hmm. being wasn't exactly because of the people on there, but it was because I was trying to test out the app by not giving too much of my information yet. So like no photo, no bio, no description, mm-hmm. no nothing. And then I was like, I just want to browse and like see what navigating these apps are like. And then they're like, because you didn't give us any information, you cannot customize. And I'm like, well, you know what? I'm leaving this app if I can't customize. (laughs) But then, yeah, Yeah, like based on my experience, I'd say pretty similar. Yeah, like very casual. But then I've only properly been on like one date or really two dates. And then like we were pretty much friends. So we were just like hanging out. Yeah. Like getting a meal together, like went to Kiwi Park or something, and then like just paid on our own. And I think that's pretty fair. Okay. It's a fair expectation as well. Yeah. Okay. Just because nowadays I think people are becoming more like open minded or at least leaning towards, oh, like people would pay for their own meals. But then, like, similar to you, I've also heard about the, oh, he's going to come over, like show up with flowers, and then completely go and go big for the first date one time I went on a date with a guy who the difference I think is is that he was like he was quite a bit older than I was like not quite 10 years but like almost 10 years older than I was yeah it was like one of my first dates ever um and he showed up like in a like kind of casual suit with a tie he came to my door he picked me up in his car he'd made reservations ahead of time this was in vancouver and we went to the sandbar which is like one of my favorite restaurants ever um in vancouver so we went to this restaurant and um he paid for everything he drove me home Mm -hmm. and that was great um but it definitely put a lot of like pressure on the Mm -hmm. date like for me to look perfect for the date to go exactly as planned 
like if we would have run into car trouble, for example, it definitely would have ruined the mood versus Mm -hmm. in France. One time I had a guy show up 45 minutes late for a date because he decided to take the Metro during the like semifinals of the football, like championships where France was playing. (laughs) So of course, like every French person in all of Paris was out at bars. And when that happens, like for crowd control reasons, they often delay metros and like Mm -hmm. close certain stations so that they can like reduce the number of people coming into those same areas. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I waited was because the guy who was North American and was like just visiting Paris was like, oh, I'll pay for dinner. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll wait. <laughs> like, <laughs> 45 minutes was a long time. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm surprised that you didn't like just leave halfway because that's a very long time as mentioned. It was a very good restaurant. Like, it's another one of my favorite restaurants in Paris. Um, it's, like, definitely pretty fancy. And I was like, if you're going to pay for this, I am. I feel no guilt in taking advantage of that. <laughs> Food. Food makes up for it. Yes. It's a priority. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially free good food. Mm-hmm. The way to my heart. I'm guessing the date went well then. <laughs> um it went okay um Mm -hmm. the guy got super super clingy afterwards which was pretty funny um he was like he was from LA and like day two so we we match on a Sunday we meet on a Monday Mm. Uh, Tuesday he's like okay like I'm leaving Paris I'm going to Switzerland I'm gonna buy you chocolates there and bring them back like when I come back through Paris before my flight back to LA, by the way, like you should come move to LA. I think you would really like it there. And what? Like, we met 48 hours ago. And yeah, he's basically planning the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that was pretty funny. Um, so um, we did not speak after Tuesday, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, being late, I don't know if like in Paris, if they're fine with people being late or if they're like oh that's a oh huge yes no-go. no no everybody is late like ah, really? everybody is late yeah yeah but europe in general i would say maybe not in the uk um but like for sure like france italy spain greece like you are late always uh-huh. always 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 like if you show up on time i would say you should prepare to wait like 30 minutes oh, oh my yeah. gosh so whoever's like, oh, I am going to be here in 10 minutes and they're just like opening their eyes. Yeah, I think they would thrive in that environment. Yes. yes. Uh, oh, 100%. But it's cultural there. Like it's normal. You plan yeah. for it because mm-hmm. you take the metro. And I feel like when you're taking the metro, it's not like you can speed to get there. Like people yeah. don't feel the same pressure to like get places on time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that might be a huge distinction. Like dating in Paris in this case just because like a lot of the things I've heard is like here in Vancouver at least it's like oh my gosh why is the other person late we literally said mm-hmm. 5 p.m why are they coming at like freaking five twenty and stuff but then there it seems like people are like oh no, no no I'll be there as long as I show up or at least show up within a decently reasonable time frame I'm guessing 45 minutes is considered definitely abnormal fine. yeah <laughs> I'd say like 20 minutes late is probably like okay if you give them a heads up more than that is probably rude and they might leave 
Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's pretty normal to be like 15 minutes late for something. I'd say uh, 15 to 20, even uh, classes, like one best moment in my entire semester, uh, this last year, cause I just wrapped up my, well, not last degree, but last for a little bit, hopefully, um, mm-hmm. was one of my classmates walked into class with like seven minutes left in the class. What? because he slept in and the best part is that he still came and was like hi <laughs> <laughs> like he's one of my super close friends he is such a champion it was like the highlight of my entire semester oh my gosh yeah yeah I don't think anyone so would have the balls to do that because we end classes here <laughs> 10 minutes before and so then if you show yeah. up seven minutes it's kind of like ah uh, everyone is leaving <laughs> <laughs> everyone's asking the professor questions at the front <laughs> actually though right so it seemed like you had a pretty okay date there was good food involved at least have you ever been on a nightmare first date before or have you had a really crazy experience where you're just like holy crap no never again I feel like I have had a couple dates like that Mm -hmm. um one was in Vancouver with a Dodge Ram truck driver (laughs) (laughs) so we went for ramen and he paid for ramen and then I was like Mm -hmm. well let's go for bubble tea and I'll pay for bubble tea and then we like walked and then he offered to drive me home and I literally said no because the conversation just made it very very apparent to me that we like had nothing in common like absolutely super nice guy super sweet not Mm -hmm. a lick of chemistry not a single thing in common like from values and beliefs to like life hopes and dreams <laughs> like really not going anywhere and I was like okay I am uh, I'm just gonna cut this guy loose so he offered to drive me home and I straight up was like no I'll take the bus like <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean that makes um, sense though so yeah like I didn't want to waste his time you know mm-hmm. um other like nightmare dates uh, I had a recent experience in a like fancy bar, like borderline club, um, but like basically a bar, just to make that distinction. Like there was no mm-hmm. dance floor. Um, I was there for an after work party, which is mm-hmm. definitely something like if anybody is ever visiting Paris, you should absolutely check out the different after work parties. Actually, just like any big city in Paris usually has them. They're usually on like a Wednesday or a Thursday night because that's when the weekend starts. Um, Definitely like Thursday is the weekend already because Friday, Mm -hmm. a lot of people end work early. Mm -hmm. So after work parties are super cool because you can meet people in person. You can talk about professional projects if you want to, or in like the most of like the majority of cases, you can also just drink a ton of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, with other people who are also drinking a ton of alcohol. So I was at one of these parties. Um, actually, the like the night leading up to my birthday, so that like we were there at midnight when mm-hmm. it actually was my birthday, which was awesome. And I started dancing with this guy. And the cool thing about European men, I will say, is that a lot of them learn like partner dancing in school. Ooh. And, like, not just in high school. Like, they'll take it in university as well. Mm. And so when you go places and there's room to dance, like, it's it's really common in Paris, for example. You dance rock. So, mm. like, I don't know. That's just what it's called. And it's super fun because everybody knows it. And it's really easy to pick up if you don't know it. And 
So it's fun to dance with people because they will actually dance with you and it's not just the like, it's, 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 like yeah. fist pumping, you know? Dang, they um, so we were, yeah, and, but like, it's not like, it's just, it's so casual. You just like start doing it. Mm. Um, like start dancing. I mean, yeah. um, so this guy, like we were dancing, it was going well. He tried to kiss me. I said, no, I was with friends. Um, it was my birthday and I had mm-hmm. plans to like go back to my friend's house. Cause we were like a group of six people, you know, like we were, mm-hmm. we were not just going to divide and conquer, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, he like asks me at some point, he was like, okay, like, are you ready to get out of here? And I'm like looking at my friends, like seeing if they're ready to go. And like, yeah, like, we're it's sounding like we're gonna start getting ready to go we do like one Mm -hmm. more round to the toilets and then we go get our coats from coat check and the guy like I have my coat and he's like okay like let's go and I was like what do you mean I'm waiting for my friends and he was like what do you mean like you and I are leaving and I was like (laughs) no (laughs) I'm leaving with my friends and he it was quite audacious he was like oh well that's not very fair what I was like (laughs) What does that mean? <laughs> Excuse me? Like, yeah, exactly. Like, what What does that mean? Um, and so, like, keep in mind, this guy had been trying to kiss me, like, the entire time that we were dancing, which is wow. not part of the, like, dance that everybody knows. Like, mm-hmm. normally can be very platonic. Yeah. Um, so he decides that because he did not get his kiss and because I was not going home with him on my birthday from mm-hmm. an event that I had arrived at with other people... Mm-hmm. he was going to approach me one last time to try to kiss me and I like shrivel my lips up and clench them tight and like do like I back away I'm sure I had like 13 chins at that moment just from like how far I was trying to get away from this guy <laughs> which he God. took just wait it gets better he took this as an invitation to lick from my, the bottom of my chin all the way up across my lips up my nose he did not like oh my like gosh. an ice cream cone it was so disgusting <laughs> i am i was like shocked. wiping my mouth yeah yeah that was awful no. that was so bad i was like when someone does not want you to kiss them it does not mean they want you to lick them like an ice cream cone instead <laughs> yes, that is you know? not a possible alternative i thought that was common no. knowledge oh my god and and this was during COVID, hey? This was, like, in November. That makes it even worse. <laughs> yeah. I was like, dude, have you, like, have you not been around for the last year and a half? Like, Yeah, man's been living under no. a rock. <laughs> <laughs> so that, I, I know it doesn't count as a date, but, like, that was an interesting, I, I don't even want to call it, like, romantic. It was definitely intimate, not romantic. It was, <laughs> it was a confrontation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. But no, like when you mentioned how he tried to kiss you, that was something that really struck me as interesting because I think I read somewhere that you usually only kiss someone when you're serious about them, kind of as a sign no. that, hey, I'm not seeing no. anyone else. I'm only seeing you. So no. that was a lie all along that I read online. No, that's a lie. That That is 100% a lie. Like if if there's one thing that distinguishes all European men, like every single European man, it's like how openly physical they are. Like wow. they will touch your back. They will touch your arm. They will touch your leg. Like they are like very casually touchy. And every first date I've ever been on, every date I've ever been on um, in Europe, 
like the guy has touched me at some point like not necessarily sexually but just like Mm -hmm. while you're walking he'll like guide you with his like the palm of his hand you know that and that's totally normal and even my Mm -hmm. friends like all my male friends were super like touchy with each other and it's normal I mean you literally like kiss each other on the cheek to say hello to everybody so yeah that's normal that's super normal it's definitely not a sign of anything well, this seems a lot of the stories I've heard about dating in Vancouver seem very conservative. <laughs> yeah, usually that does not happen here. People are usually, I think they're more like friends during the first date. And then later on, they start getting comfortable. They start easing into it, making sure the other person is okay with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like what they want to do first. It's super boring. Like, yeah, I don't know how people... Yeah, but also, like, chemistry is natural. And, like, when mm-hmm. you have that, like, attraction to another person, I think that it's normal, like, it's a normal progression as you're getting to know them to, like, touch their knee or, like, touch their shoulder, like, while yeah. you're laughing. Like, it, I think it's human nature. I think that we just repress that here in, in North America in general. Yeah. Or maybe we're just trying to be very aware just so we don't get in trouble. <laughs> I think we were also chatting about this Netflix show, Emily in Paris. So for listeners out there who have not watched it yet, especially the first season, please skip forward just because there will be some spoilers here, possibly. But then, (laughs) yeah, like we were talking and then you said that you didn't, you weren't a fan of Emily in Paris for season two, at least. No. No, what's wrong with it? They're like definitely season one was better than the three episodes I've seen of season Mm -hmm. two um, in terms of like acting quality but there are a lot of like stereotypes they call out in the show Mm -hmm. that are super funny um, but then they like beat them over the head so just Mm -hmm. from like a a movie style perspective it's not it's not my cup of tea Mm -hmm. what is funny in there is the times when they call something out and you're not quite sure if the directors like didn't understand French culture mm. or if they like genuinely meant to be kind of ironic. Mm-hmm. Number one example is like episode one when she moves over to Paris and she goes to her apartment and the landlord or whatever is like, okay, like here is your like chambre de bonne, which basically like in France, if you live in that style of apartment means that you probably live like right underneath the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, on the sixth floor without an elevator and your toilet and shower and like hot plate and fridge are all in the same room like God. basically your usually your shower is like in it's part of your room and you just like close the curtain um, you might have like a couple windows you can probably as soon as you open your yeah no for sure as soon as you can open your apartment door you can see your entire apartment um, it's probably the size of like a typical North American walk-in closet, like to give you an idea. Uh, <laughs> and people pay a ton of money for those. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might be paying like 800 to 1000 Canadian for a room like that because mm-hmm. um, rental prices in Paris are insane. But when she walks into her apartment, I mean, her apartment is actually stunning and she's got like a view and she's staying in the fifth arrondissement, I think, Mm -hmm. which is a super, super fancy like part of Paris. It's right downtown. It's close to Notre Dame. It's close to the Pantheon. Um, 
yeah, like that stereotype, I, I have no idea if that was an intentional or not, but that mm. is definitely um, not a chambre de bonne. Yeah. And then the fact that she just like bumps into her super hot neighbor and all her clients are also like super hot. Um, I mean, maybe, but the thing about Parisian people for sure is that they don't talk to each other. So like really? the chances of you meeting your neighbor I mean, I've lived in France for a total of four years. Um, I have had one, two, three, four, like five different places. And I mm -hmm. have met my neighbor twice out mm -hmm. of those five different houses. Um, people just don't like talk to each other. Um, they're mm -hmm. busy. They've got different schedules. They're coming and going at different places uh, or different times. So that would be super abnormal. Also that you would ever go and like knock on your neighbor's door for help. Mm -hmm. you would probably like text a friend and hope that they care enough about you to like take the metro and come see you um before you would reach out to a stranger those definitely make a lot of sense like i can tell i was just like wow she lives downtown and the view is that good this is too good to be true honestly <laughs> yeah i mean it it's possible but like you're going to pay a ton of money for that place yeah. absolutely absolutely but then for the other aspects of it, would you say that the portrayals are mod like I can't even talk today. Would you say that the portrayals are moderately accurate or is it mostly like very much blown out of proportion aside from the hot neighbor? <laughs> yeah, the I mean, the other aspect they really call out in the show is like the interaction between work colleagues, especially mm -hmm. in the first season, you see like this. Um, animosity towards like the North American intruder who's like coming into the French business and trying to tell them what's right mm -hmm. that's for sure true like they're but that's like the French culture in general I mean I think that French people are super proud of their heritage and of mm -hmm. their culture um, and they regularly express that so when Westerners North American people any basically anybody outside of France and really anybody outside of Paris like comes into an established reputable company and tries to tell them like, no, 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 you're doing things wrong. Mm -hmm. I think that if you do that without tact, it's unlikely to be successful in, in mm -hmm. any workplace there. Yeah. Um, and I think that people do, I think I've been super like fortunate where I've worked, but I mm -hmm. have worked in some places where like people did talk behind my back and usually in a language I didn't understand that they oh. both did know. Um, so that definitely happens as a North American because we, we do things differently like that. Mm -hmm. That is for sure, especially in the workplace. Absolutely. That is super understandable for me as well. I'd say when I was watching it, that was also another thing that I found to be very interesting like how she just went in and I was just like huh interesting how you didn't get fired for that just because it was like yeah oh, going in scrapping it all doing it differently yeah like in season two you can see like how her manager her manager later came apparently spoilers but then yeah you can see how the reaction was towards her yeah I think that if you like are on a contract and you're there to revolutionize or change the way that the company is is going, that's one thing. But like mm -hmm. if you are a North American expat who is just trying to live and work there and you come in with your own ideas, like take the example of um, workplace hierarchies. 
Mm-hmm. So I would say in Europe, like people are much more, um, they abide much more, more by workplace hierarchy. So, mm-hmm. You know, CEO speaks to the people like directly under them and mm-hmm. the senior managers speak to the managers and the managers speak to the employees and the employees speak to the interns. And there mm-hmm. isn't a lot of like cross contamination between those roles. And just in my experience, I've worked at a super small startup in two Fortune 500 companies uh, in Paris. So mm-hmm. the the really big companies when I was there, one of them was an oil and gas like transformation company, which was mm-hmm. a really niche industry. But also, I mean, oil and gas is a super old industry. And you could feel it in the company and and they knew it too. Like everybody who was there understood the structure that they were getting into. Um, But there was absolutely no opportunity for me to meet anybody from outside of my team. Like I never met a single person who didn't work in marketing in that company. When I worked at a law firm in Paris, which was like radically different, same kind of feeling like, okay, this is an old company. Mm-hmm. Um, I went like out of my way to email and internally message all of the senior partners at the firm because I was an intern while I was there and I really wanted to get exposure to some meaningful cases. And when I was looking around at some of the work that other interns were doing, I think it's super important. And of course, like every, every big law firm has their, their intern or associate structure, but I, mm-hmm since my my internship was also quite short i really wanted to have um like big exposure in a short amount of time so i just figured oh i'll connect Mm -hmm. with the senior partners my mentality was basically like worst thing they can tell me is no or they'll like they won't respond Mm -hmm. almost all of them responded met with me i ended up working super closely with one of them on a case for a full week um, and Mm -hmm. meeting a really really big client which was super super cool I'm super glad that I did that. But when I talked to the other interns over lunch about like my strategy and what I was doing, all of them were super shocked. And like, we were all going to the same school. We had a similar background. It wasn't like I was overqualified. Like if anything, I was underqualified for that internship. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just this idea of you're hired to be the intern. Like you should report to your direct manager and just kind Mm -hmm. of stay in line. and, And that's it. Based on what I'm hearing too, it seems like there are almost unwritten rules out there or rules that people are expected to know and follow, especially with, let's say, Mm -hmm. um, older industries, kind of like, oh, know your position, don't Mm -hmm. overstep boundaries, even if, let's say, like basically what you did, reaching out to more senior people really got you ahead and you were able to work and learn a lot from them. They're kind of like, "Eh, I'll kind of pass that up. I won't take a risk in case I offend anyone. Yeah. yeah. Even like with LinkedIn networking. So again, like shameless plug for networking here. Um, I, Dating and networking. Like, I, <laughs> you know, you know how it is. Um, I like very, very frequently. So my current job, I DM'd the CEO on LinkedIn and basically mm-hmm. told him I was super interested in the company and asked if I could come and be an intern at the company he set me up with their HR manager and the CMO in the next seven days. Like I had a response from him within, I think like 24 hours. 
Wow. So here in North America, I think that it's it's still appreciated. Like it definitely shows you're going a step above and beyond, mm-hmm. um, but it's not seen as like disrespectful or abnormal if you pull a move like that. Mm-hmm. Versus a lot of my classmates um, in Europe, you know, I've just told them like, oh, have you have you connected with that person from that company on LinkedIn? And they're like, maybe they've connected, but send a message. Oh my goodness, no. Like not Mm. if they've never met in person, which is interesting. Yeah, definitely very different perspectives there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then another thing about office culture that I like picked up on when I was watching Emily in Paris was the smoking that went on, like based on Sylvie's character. Is that something that actually happens? I know that smoking is pretty prevalent in Paris especially amongst yes. French women. I think we've been through this before. I think we talked about it briefly, but does it happen in the office or is that usually like a no smoking zone? You usually take it outside? You, I don't think you're allowed anymore to smoke in public office buildings um, for for the most part. There, there might be exceptions. You, in your own apartment, a landlord cannot like legally prohibit you from smoking because mm-hmm. the law basically says like, whether you're renting or you're living there, um, like you own the place, you it's your it's your place, and you have the right to do what you want to do um, mm-hmm. as long as it's not illegal. Behind closed doors is kind of like their general approach to things. Um, in the office, they're like French people smoke a lot. In in general, Europeans mm-hmm. smoke a lot. I would say like the vast majority of my friends. Um, don't smoke but I think it's just because we like gravitate towards each other because we don't smoke Mm -hmm. I have a ton of friends who do smoke and most of their friends like smoke with them so um in an office there's a super interesting thing that happens in like very strict offices I would say which is Mm -hmm. maybe every two hours everybody goes for a coffee and smoke break like absolutely everybody it doesn't have to be all at the same time but like probably every two hours roughly um you take 20 minutes and you go get a coffee there's always coffee machines everywhere that are not like mastrenas that you would find Mm -hmm. at starbucks they're like vending machines that distribute coffee they're hilarious um everyone goes and gets one of those and then goes outside to smoke um lunch is usually like a minimum of an hour to like two hours every day um so a good part like a good part of that is your smoke break kind of one last thing about the emily in paris thing i won't drag it on too much given that you didn't actually enjoy it that much but then regarding the the whole affairs thing like with sylvie and the guy who was making perfumes i forgot his name i don't know if this is a joke (laughs) or if it's actually something that's tolerated and kind of accepted to some extent in real life I think it depends on the individual. Like, I think it's hard to make generalizations. That being said, um, this year I had the like incredible chance to meet another fellow Canadian expat living over there, studying over there, Mm -hmm. who at one point told me that they were like dating four different people at the same time and that none of those people knew that they were dating the other people. So that that was super super interesting also that they were like super open about it to everybody else but not to those four individuals
Right. So then that was definitely a lot of info about dating, workplaces, dating and networking, chins. <laughs> definitely a very enlightening <laughs> conversation that we've had here. I definitely learned a lot more about what it's like to date in Paris versus Vancouver, the uh, portrayal versus reality aspect. But then kind of as a final bit or final question before we end this episode off, mm -hmm. do you foresee the dating scene changing drastically in 2022? Or do you think it's going to stay relatively the same as before? That That is a good question as well. Um, I think that, and not to be like the one who's bringing up COVID, um, mm -hmm. but I do think that COVID has changed the way that people view relationships in general. I, mm -hmm. I hope that a lot of people got closer to their families, got closer to their loved ones, um, and, and found out that it takes a lot more than just having similar classes in common to form real friendships. Mm -hmm. um, if you if people like did discover that, then I would say the interesting thing with relationships um, and where I think they're going in in 2022 is that I think people have more clear priorities when they're mm -hmm. going into relationships because they know how much work relationships like non-romantic relationships and romantic relationships take they potentially reprioritize their lives around other other things thanks to the pandemic um, mm -hmm. and now to meet somebody i think people are really going to have to decide how much of the identity that they built during the pandemic is is their true identity um, and how much of it they're willing to compromise in order to bring somebody else into their life because it, it's always about compromise mm -hmm. absolutely yeah Definitely very well said. I think due to COVID and how we got like two years um, taken away from us, a lot of us were able mm -hmm. to recognize the importance of family, of relationships mm -hmm. that we already had, especially with our friends, really taking the time to like check up on people, make sure they're doing okay, trying to like become much more closer to our friends. Maybe they're people that you've seen at the library before, but then you really got to know them better instead of mm -hmm. I'd say going from person to person as much in yep. trying to like find excitement or trying to find like new perspectives you cherish the ones that you have but yeah the flip side of that I would say is that I I wonder if this like two years like for example my brother is just starting his undergrad mm -hmm. um he his classes are all online and oh, for yeah. me my like first year of undergrad being in person and meeting people was one of probably like one of the most important years of my life mm -hmm. as far as like personal development goes, personality changing, um, experiences that you get exposed to, like cultural perspectives. I think it's, it's mm -hmm. really important to have those that year in person. Mm -hmm. The fact that, you know, people in his age group and, and from the year before are not having that experience. And like, there's potentially people who are going into their, yeah, like second year of university who still have not met any of their peers in person. Yeah, I wonder if like that is going to have an impact on the dating scene that leads to more like instant gratification because people mm -hmm. are really starved for human contact in general. I, I wonder that if I had to make a prediction, that would be something that I would be really interested in seeing. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would definitely be a very interesting question to ponder. I feel like maybe, I feel like there are always some people who are definitely very attached to instant gratification, but then other ones, they might be like going the extra mile to connect with someone, Mm -hmm. given that they have to make Mm -hmm. up for it since they couldn't really meet them in person or they don't have like student lounges or any common areas where they just sit down and like chat up someone new that day. Yeah, like I, in 2020, when this whole thing started, I Mm -hmm. remember joking with people and being like, I feel uniquely prepared to tackle this pandemic, no matter how long it is, because I was homeschooled from K to 12. Like, I had 12 years to prepare. Yeah, for like online schooling did not phase me. Like, I don't think I ever lost motivation during the pandemic from like being at home from being isolated. Mm -hmm. I was like, this literally, it feels like I'm backtracking. But at the same time, it feels almost normal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like everybody in the world just got two years and hopefully let's pray like not a third, yeah, um, but definitely crossed. got like, <laughs> definitely got two years to develop those skills of like, oh, you need to go out of your bubble to make like meaningful connections with people because mm-hmm. relying on those, um, provided touch points in life is, is super scary. Um, and I, I guess I'll share like one last story. One thing that I really struggled with, like, as you know, I'm moving to Paris full time. Um, One thing that I really struggled with when I was considering whether it was the right move to go to Paris, I also got offered um, the same job, but in Madrid, in Spain, Um, Mm. a huge factor in my decision to stay in Paris was like, education in general gives you the biggest opportunity I would argue like of your life to make very deep friendships Mm -hmm. um, with people because you have something in common for them for the entire term of your program you are in the same program so you likely have similar career paths or like goals and you find ways to like keep in touch and support each other because you had those common experiences that mm-hmm. in the workplace, um, I think it's harder to cross those boundaries between like, we're colleagues, but we're friends. But like, since we're colleagues, I'm not going to tell you everything. Yeah. And that, um, that idea of like, if I move to Madrid, sure, I would have all of my super, super, super wonderful colleagues, who I'm super, super grateful for. Um, but I, I need more than that in my life. I need to be able to have deep conversations like like this, Jenna, where yeah, we're, we're chatting. Like I would not talk about these topics with my colleagues, not at any fault on their part. Just like, how do you go back to being professional when you've like talked, like poured out your heart about your dating yeah, life, you know? Absolutely. And I'm glad that you recognize that as well, just because I think it would be quite irreversible to a great extent <laughs> if you are that honest yeah. with them. Mhm mhm and and super like it becomes self isolating if your only friendships that you have regular contact with are people that you can only be like elbow deep with mhm yeah life definitely isn't going to be so colorful i think if that was the case like where if you where you have to like maintain a distance and then you want to get closer yeah. to them because you want to work better you want to actually like get along with your colleagues and be friends with them but then at the same time you're like oh I can't get too cozy with anyone mm-hmm. just because if mm-hmm. they know my secrets then it can kind of be used as a weapon against me especially when it comes for like 
promotion time or when someone like screws up then you don't want them to bring that up yeah or like and even like less maliciously it's just like people people view you differently when they get to know you and I think Mm -hmm. we all put on a different face when we're working we try to put our our best foot forward and the everybody knows like the reality is we all make mistakes in life and and life is messy but there is this unspoken, I would say, like global code that you do not bring your personal life and personal mess into work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's survival. But then also, I think it's like for the sake of other people as well at the workplace, mm-hmm. just so they don't have to mm-hmm. be like, uh, and how do I react to that? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. So like moral of the story is relationships are great. Friendships are even better. Um, if you have really good friends in your life, I think that your romantic relationships will flow naturally, mm-hmm. um, regardless of whether you are meeting people in person or whether you are um, using dating apps. When you have a strong, supportive friend group around you of people that you can trust and bounce ideas off of, I mm-hmm. think that your romantic life is, and even your professional life, is probably going to be a lot healthier because you have a better ability to draw boundaries, you have a better ability to vent where it's appropriate and not like wear the same people out, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree with that. And I think it also like boils down to having to put on fewer masks. Because like, if you're, Mm -hmm. let's say, able to be yourself when you're around your friends, or if you're able to really bring yourself to every social situation, you know that you're not going to be judged for who you are when you're with your friends, then you will likely not have that tendency or be, I guess, inclined to put on a front in order Mm -hmm. to protect yourself. Let's say when you're meeting people or when you're approaching dating, you're not like, oh, are they going to judge me because I don't look a certain way? My personality Mm -hmm. isn't a certain way. And they said they liked I guess, calm people. I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or like you, you portray one version of yourself in a dating app, for example, and then like how long can you actually keep up that persona in person? Because I mean, when you are comparing yourself in a catalog of people, obviously you want to like put your best advertisement forward, even if that is even if it's over embellished, right? And then there's all this pressure to to be that person in real life, which is totally unrealistic of of anybody Mm -hmm. for longer than three months, I would say. Yeah. And then people have trust issues and then it all kind of goes to shit. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) There you go. And there is your podcast episode. There we go. (laughs) So Uh, that was a very nice conversation where we got to learn a lot about cultural differences when it comes to dating we ended off on a very deep note actually about relationships friendships 2022 the dating scene how things will change and for the very devoted listeners who made it to this point and made it to the end of this episode a huge thank you to you for tuning in all the way i hope that you were able to learn a lot from it get new perspectives and insights But then most importantly, you enjoyed our wild ride of a conversation and that you now are hopefully inclined to book a flight to Paris and experience this (laughs) culture and this life for yourself, aside from Emily in Paris. 
Yeah. Thank you so, so much, Jenna, for having me. This is awesome. Definitely happy to do it again. Overall, thank you so much to you, Chantal, for once again coming on here and taking the time to really make everyone not yell (laughs) so that you can tell me about your (laughs) dating story and overall the words of wisdom that you have when it comes to navigating. Thanks so much, Jenna. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. It is always my pleasure. All right. Until next time. Bye. Nice. Look at that.